This talk is offered by Ordinary Mind Zendo. Ordinary Mind was founded by Barry Magid, Dharma heir of Charlotte Joko Beck, and is dedicated to her vision of a psychologically minded Zen practice adapted to the needs of American students practicing in the context of their everyday lives. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Traditionally, uh, during Sashin, I give a talk on a koan. But after 25 years of doing that, I thought I would try something a little different today. And uh, I'm going to instead uh, talk about a cartoon. I'll post it later so you can see it, but right now I'll just have to describe it to you. It starts with a picture of two seagulls sitting on a cliff by the ocean. One seagull says to the other, where do you think we're headed? The other seagull says, I was going to get some fries down on the pier. First seagull says, no, I mean the big picture. What is the culminating result of consciousness? Where does this path end? The other seagull says, I still, I still feel like it has something to do with those fries on the pier. I'm going to give the cartoon in this talk a name. I would call it... Uh, Keep your eyes on the fries. <laughs> now the cartoon presents the seagull as a Dasein. Take a word from Heidegger. A being whose being is an issue for it. Seagull is sort of asking about the big picture. What is it to be a seagull? And if you believe in a natural or given seagull nature, there's no question. You know what seagulls do. They go down to the pier and they steal some fries off your plate. but it's a kind of perennial question in philosophy and religious practice. To what extent is there anything like human nature? What is natural for us? Or is that something that we have to create or co-create? Sartre, who was preoccupied with the idea of freedom, said, existence precedes essence, essence being the equivalent of something like human nature. 
but existence is primary that we're defined by our freedom, not by any kind of given nature. And he had a uh, strange formula to express that, which was, we are what we're not and not what we are. Say we are what we're not is to say we're defined by possibility, not by givenness. We are not what we are. We're not simply a thing that is given. He called that the distinction between the for itself and the in itself. And the idea being that we as rational Creatures have choice and decisions and possibilities that are more fundamental than any kind of given nature. But in the terms of practice, certainly in Zen practice, we're confronted with sort of the the question of the relationship between human nature, whatever that means, and Buddha nature, whatever that means. It's human nature where we start off and Buddha nature what we're aiming at. Or in some ways, are these things identical from the very beginning? And what would that mean? Certainly, if we take Buddha nature to represent some kind of realized, realized ideal, we don't feel like we're starting from that place. And I think it's a simple fact that most people who take up a religious practice do so in the pursuit of some kind of ideal, something that they hold in contrast to the place they're starting out from, or they wouldn't start out at all. And that sets in motion a very complicated journey. Sometimes we call it aspiration. Sometimes I call it a curative fantasy. These things are inevitably entangled. For our seagulls, If they were to begin to ask questions like that, they would sort of ask, what is sort of the highest fulfillment of our seagull nature? And if they were, say, simply utilitarian uh, seagulls, 
they might say, whatever life results in the greatest number of fries is the best life. And then they might have a question of, is it more efficacious to look for fries at the pier or at the dump? Right? And it would just be a very uh, straightforward, practical matter. Where can you get the most stuff? But if our first seagull is a uh, philosopher, he might pose the question differently and say something like, for tens of thousands or even millions of years, seagulls have lived in the wild, hunting, fishing, scavenging. But it's only very recently that we've become completely dependent on the stuff that human beings throw out. And sure, it's easy to go pick up fries at the pier or eat garbage at the dump, but is that what seagulls really should be doing? Maybe that's why seagulls are dying young from high blood pressure and cholesterol. Maybe to be a real seagull, we should go back to the wild discover what it was like to be a seagull before humans were on the scene and sort of create a whole other ideal of the seagull in nature. This would be a seagull trying to exercise its freedom of what kind of life is the good life. Right? How do you decide? What are you going to be your criteria? Alistair McIntyre, a philosopher who some of you may know from uh, his book, After Virtue, uh, has another book called Dependent Rational Animals. those three words he wants to sum up our human condition. And we could say that for most of us, when we sat out in on practice of one kind or another, it's because we can't really come to terms with all three, three terms in that description. We like the rational part, but dependent and animal, not so much. And practice, including Zen practice, very often is an attempt to rephrase who we are as something like transcendent, independent animals, if or perhaps spirits. Maybe that's even more what we aim for. Transcendent, independent spirits. Freed from animal mortality freed from emotional, physical dependency, 
on others or our environment. And we create this picture of something higher that we think we're going to aspire to or attain. Now, the bad news that we, you know, eventually come to face is that Buddha nature is simply another description for impermanence and interdependence. Dependent animal. And that the thing that we have set up as an ideal that we think we're aspiring to is something that actually describes the very thing that we're trying to escape from. As Joko used to say, it takes people a few years to discover what this practice is really about. And when they finally get a glimpse of it, most of them quit. Dogen, I think, has this, you know, marvelous, mystical intuition of the identity of human nature and Buddha nature. It's one way of saying, or speaking of the identity of practice and realization. Our very practice of zazen or our very life as a monastic isn't a means to an end of realization. It is itself the enactment of that realization, the enactment of the identity of human nature and Buddha nature. Ordinary mind is the way another way of phrasing that. Although I think that for Dogen, there very much is this kind of uh, sense that it is this particular form of life that is the real deal. Ordinary mind is the way, in a sense, could apply to you know, everybody down on the pier having their fries for lunch. Not just uh, the monks sitting in Zaza. How we try to bring this out into our lives now as lay people I think is an ongoing question. And I think that the way we frame that to ourselves and answer it uh, can change a, a lot over the course of decades of practice. We're not monks and we're not watered down monks. 
You know, we're not practicing with the sense that they're doing the real thing and we can't get ourselves to do that for one way or another, but we're going to try to do the next best thing. And maybe, you know, someday when we have the time or the means, we'll leave this life and go do the real thing in a monastery. foundation of LZTA and lay practice is the idea that the Dharma can be fully realized, expressed, and transmitted in lay life. That ordinary life fits the absolute like a box in its lid. The absolute is found right here and right now in what we're doing here and everywhere. But if it's everywhere doing anything, why do we practice? To what extent do we need this kind of reminder of that identity? See, I think the reality is that when we practice a while, we understand that no matter how much we pay lip service to the identity of human nature and Buddha nature, practice and enlightenment, we most of the times don't live our life as if that was true. We go about our lives as if there was something basically missing or not okay, something we need to attain. And when we've practiced a while, we, we have times when we realize that's not true. Everything is okay just as it is, as strange as that to say. If I was going to bring this back around to a koan, I would say every day is a good day. Who believes that, right? How is it that we build a reminder or an expression of that into our ordinary lives? Well, doing this sort of thing is one way to do that. But everybody has to decide in a way for themselves what that's going to look like. We offer a kind of template. We offer a model of practice. But it's not one size fits all. It's not clear what the best schedule or rhythm or discipline is for any given person in this room or this sangha. That's the... uh, the curse of freedom, where we really have to sort that out for ourselves. Make a commitment for ourselves to define why we're doing this rather than that. What it means to keep showing up for this. 
Sometimes we're going to just want to go down to the pier and get some fries. Sometimes we're going to want to ask ourselves, what's the big picture? What is it that is our true nature? How do we express that? 